welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We miss sports, and in not having sports, we miss yelling at referees or umpires. We think they're blind, even when they see the most clearly. And we think we see the most clearly, when clearly, we don't. Teaching team member Caleb Click continues the series, Miracles of Jesus, with this sermon entitled, Authority Over Blindness, which covers Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 26. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let me give you just a few things real quick before we move into the sermon. Um, I want to give you some things just to be updated on so that you can know what to expect uh, and how to plan accordingly as it pertains to um, just even our services coming up and, and uh, where we're going to be headed as a church in the coming weeks. Um, first thing to know is this, we're going to be continuing this format, this online format for our services uh, through April 5th, Sunday, April 5th. Um, that'll be at least through then. Um, we expect that probably we'll have to continue beyond then, but we just want to be measured and continue to evaluate. But we, we can say confidently right now that we will uh, we'll continue this format through uh, April 5th. And, and with that, the church will be closed um, fully uh, between now and then as well. And our team will continue to meet and, um, and just assess the situation. And we'll certainly let you know uh, if those dates change. Uh, but for now, at least through April 5th, that'll be what's happening. Uh, I want to invite you, this is really important. I want to invite you into something that I'm super excited about that I think is going to be critical and significant for us as a church body. And that's this. Starting this Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, March 24th, I want to invite you into um, a 24-hour day of prayer and fasting together as a church body. That on Tuesday together, we would commit to saying, I'm going to fast from food for that day. And I'm going to be in prayer throughout the day as I fast, asking the Lord to, to meet with me and us in a significant way. Uh, and then that night, we'll culminate together at 7 p.m. by gathering uh, so to speak, online through Facebook Live. And uh, Rachel and I are going to lead that time from our home, from our living room to yours. And it'll be a very casual uh, time for us to just pray together. We'll lead through some prayer points. We might do some elements of worship. We're, we're still figuring out how this is going to look. But I want to invite you into that time together with us to pray together, to fast and to pray together as a church. And so I recorded a video earlier that hopefully you've seen by now as it's been sent out on social media, but just gives you a little more specifics as to the heart behind why we're doing this. But we're going to do that, that this Tuesday and every Tuesday to follow as long as this health pandemic is continuing. And so um, invite you to do that with us. It's going to be a special, special time. Uh, a couple of more updates real quick. Community outreach, let me give you an update there. Uh, Perimeter is one of several Unite churches who have partnered together uh, to collect uh, much needed resources for the community. So things like, here's some of the things that they're asking for the most. Um, gift cards certainly uh, would be helpful. Obviously food. And then uh, used laptops and tablets would also be something something that would be very helpful. And so from uh, Monday through Friday, from 9 a.m. to noon, right out in front of our chapel, um, underneath the covered entrance of the, of the chapel, there'll be a box where you can make those donations. So please do that and help in that way. Uh, lastly, I would just say, just continue um, to keep checking with us through our website, through our social media, uh, your email, um, and uh, 
and through the app as well. Uh, and just we'll keep you updated as much as we possibly can on what's developing and ways that you can be involved. So keep checking back with us on that. All right, let me, let me pray. I want to pray for us uh, and for the needs of, of just the, our city and our communities. And then uh, after I pray, Caleb will lead us, continue to lead us in this series that we've been in called The Miracles of Jesus. Uh, we're going into the fourth week where, um, where he will lead us again as he did last week. And then we'll finish it out. I'll finish this out next week uh, in the fifth and final week of the sermon series. But uh, let me pray for him as I pray, and then he'll, he'll lead us from there. Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to gather, even in a unique way, yet again. And Father, we pray. We pray for those who are being affected by this virus and some who have been infected with it. We pray for them. We pray that you would heal them, O Lord, and that you would be with them and their, their loved ones, that you would comfort them, encourage them, strengthen them, Lord. But we also pray for the many who have been affected by it as well, perhaps not infected, but, but knowing that this is altering our lives in a significant way. And Father, there are many who are beginning to experience the, um, the difficulty of loneliness, of sadness, of loss, uh, as we consider income and business and all that's happening on many fronts throughout our society right now. And Father, we just want to confess to you, you are Lord, you are God, you are King, you are in control. And so, Lord, we, we submit ourselves to you, even in the midst of our, our not knowing, you know. And so we trust you. We ask for your comfort to flood us. We ask for your healing uh, to, to come in power and that this virus would be cut short from what, those are, what the prognosticators are, are saying is how long this will last, Lord. May it, may it not be through your power. Father, we pray. We pray for the many that are hungry during these times, who have depended upon school meals and so on and so forth. Lord, would we be the church in a, in a powerful way to them uh, and to the many who are hurting within our congregation and abroad? Father, we thank you for the many churches that we get to partner with. And this morning, we're particularly mindful of Icon Community Church, of, of their senior pastor, Daryl Ford, and this five-year-old daughter, Church of Perimeter, and celebrating with them that they are just even this Sunday today. Uh, they are celebrating becoming a particularized church, meaning they are officially uh, a PCA church within our denomination. And so... Um, we celebrate that. We thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in that. Would you bless them as they seek to bring your gospel, your kingdom to the greater city of Atlanta? And Father, now, as we open your word together, as Caleb leads us, would you anoint him and would you speak to us through your word? We ask for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Uh, we're continuing in this series on the miracles of Jesus, and we're looking at this little story starting in verse 22, uh, a story that's odd. And I say it's odd because the contours of this story, at least in the way the book of Mark has gone up to this point, they're all wrong. The immediacy that permeates Mark's gospel, suddenly right here, it goes away. And Jesus, Jesus slows down. He doesn't just speak a word and heal a blind man who needs sight. 
Jesus spits on his eyes and he touches his face. And when he heals him, he doesn't heal him immediately. He heals him in stages. There's something here that Jesus wants us to see. Let's read the text together and let's find out what it is. Starting in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. And Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And the man looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. This is God's word. Let me pray for us. Father, we come once again, Lord, through unusual means in an unusual time. And it's at moments like these, Lord, that we find our confidence in this. It's that your power is not made perfect in our strength, but our weakness. And so where we are right now, sitting on our couches, around our kitchen tables, or right here in the chapel, Lord, we're exactly where you want us. And we are in the perfect place for you to make yourself known. And so, Lord, we ask, would you do that? Would you give us eyes to see, even as you gave the man's sight here in the text we just read? Do this now in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2016, there was this little movie that got a lot of buzz and won a lot of Oscars called Spotlight. And if you don't know what that movie was about, it was not one that you went and watched if you wanted to kind of lift your spirits because this story, it wasn't a fiction story, it was a true one. It was the story of the Boston Globe investigative team that uncovered the abuse scandal that's been rocking the Catholic Church now for the better part of a decade. And it started with this group of men and women who heard a rumor that one of the Catholic cardinals had covered up a story of abuse by a Catholic priest. And at first they thought it was just a rumor. They thought there was probably nothing to it, but then they began to pull on the thread. And the more they pulled and the more they tugged, the more they began to realize that they were holding on to something that was much bigger than they had previously imagined. That this wasn't just the story of one cardinal, and it wasn't just the story of one priest and one case of abuse, it was the story of 90 priests, and that was just in their city. And there was decade after decade after decade after decade of the Catholic Church covering up things that are too heinous even to name. And it was not just in Boston, but in cities all around the world. And what infuriated the Boston Globe investigative team was this. It was staring everyone in the face, and yet no one seemed to be able to see. The church saw it, and they covered it up. The police saw it, and they turned their faces. The justice system saw it, and they turned their backs. And what devastates, what devastates the team at the Boston Globe is they realize it wasn't just the world out there that had the truth staring them in the face and yet couldn't see. It was them. Because sitting in the archives of the Boston Globe, they found these notes, notes that they themselves had written, notes that they themselves had read, 
that could have broken that story over a decade earlier and saved even more children from the horrific things that happened. And just like everybody else, they had missed it. They were blind. Something similar is happening in the Gospel of Mark. The truth is staring everyone in the face, and yet absolutely no one seems to be able to see. From the very first verse of Mark, Mark says, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's saying, here's the Messiah. He has come. And no sooner does he say that than John, John comes crashing out of the undergrowth saying, there is one who is coming who's mightier than I who will baptize you not just with water, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And no sooner does he say it than Jesus shows up. And Jesus is baptized and the heavens rip open and the Spirit descends and the Father starts to speak and he says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And if that wasn't enough to make anyone seeing any of this go, huh, you know, maybe we should pay attention to what's happening here. Jesus then starts his ministry and all sorts of crazy things start happening. Demons are fleeing. Lame men are getting up and walking around. Jesus is fulfilling scriptures at every turn. He's preaching with an authority that only God possesses. And yet, in the face of this tidal wave of evidence, this screaming neon sign in the sky saying, here he is no one seems to be able to see. And it all comes to a head right here in our text this morning. And here's what's striking. It's not just the usual suspects who've missed it. Right before this passage, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they make plain that they are absolutely blind. They say, Jesus, we need a sign to prove that you're really the Christ. But right after that, you see that the disciples they're blind too because they start arguing about bread and Jesus turns and he looks at them and he says, having eyes do you not see and ears do you not hear, do you not yet understand? They're blind. They can't see. They've missed the thing that is staring them right in the face and here. Here is why Mark has placed this story right here. Here's why Jesus slows down. Because this miracle, it is a window into a spiritual reality that every single one of us inhabits. It's an invitation to come as those who are blind, to the one who has authority not just over physical blindness, but over spiritual blindness as well. Because here's... Here's the uncomfortable truth of the Gospel of Mark. All of us, in our own power and strength, we're blind. You see this play out in Mark in two camps. The first camp in the Gospel of Mark, it's those who think they see when really they don't. Those who think that they know what's going on when in truth they're blind. That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees... They show up and they stand in front of Jesus, this man who's been healing the sick and casting demons out. And they say, we need a sign. We need some proof that you're really who you say you are. And Jesus, in that uncomfortable way he so often does, Jesus just shrugs his shoulders and says, not going to do it. And the reason Jesus says no, it's really simple. It's because Jesus knows why they're there. 
In verse 12, he says, why are you seeking a sign? It's not because they're tottering on the edge of belief. It's because these are men who have already made up their minds. And Jesus knows it. He knows that the reason they're standing in front of him, as it says in verse 11, is because they want to test him. He knows these are the same men who since Mark chapter 3 have been explicitly trying to destroy him. He knows that these are the same guys who when Jesus goes around and he heals and he casts out demons, these are the same ones who follow up behind him with the crowds and they say, you know how he did that, don't you? Not the power of God, but the power of demons. Jesus knows if he gives them a sign, they're just going to fold their arms and look at each other and say, demon, told you. If he says no, they're going to do what they do here. They're going to walk away and look at their buddies and say, see, we told you he wasn't the Christ. He's a fraud. These aren't men who are there to be convinced. These are men who have already made up their minds and they think they see, but they're blind to the reality that's staring them in the face. And what Jesus says is what they need. It's not a sign. It's sight. Some of us, some of you are sitting there right now and you're angry with God because you feel like you have been begging him for years, do something, prove that you exist to me, show me some kind of sign so that I would know that you were actually there and you actually care. And what Jesus would say to you is maybe, maybe you're asking the wrong question. Maybe what you need isn't a sign. Maybe what you need is sight. And here's what I want you to hear. Jesus, the Jesus we just read about, that's something he delights to give. Because there's a second group in Mark. There's those who think they see when really they don't. And then there's those who know they're blind and come to Jesus so that they would receive from him their sight. That's the blind man in verse 22. The blind man... He doesn't need to be convinced that he's blind. He knows it. When he wakes up in the morning and he opens his eyes, what meets him is darkness. Hands other than his own have to lift him to his feet every day and carry him to places because he doesn't know where he's supposed to go. The food that is placed before him, it comes from the hands of another because he can't provide it for himself. Everything in his life screams, you are blind and his friends his friends have brought him to Jesus because they are thinking maybe there is one here who can do what no one else has been able to. And maybe they can give my friend the sight he so desperately needs. Do you realize that's what's happening with the disciples too? As I mentioned earlier, right before this text, the disciples, they are arguing about bread. Somebody forgot the bread. I'm going to guess it's Peter because he's usually the one screwing things up. And Jesus turns and he looks at the disciples and he says, do you guys not see what's happening? Having eyes, do you not see? Ears, do you not hear? Do you not yet understand? When you were in the wilderness and there was a crowd of 5,000 that needed food and all we had was a few loaves and a few fishes, 
and I fed them to the point where their bellies were overflowing. How many baskets were left over? And the disciples kind of look at each other sheepishly and they say, well, 12, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay. And when there was 4,000, again in the wilderness, and again when we only had a few loaves and a few fishes, and I fed them to the point when their bellies were full too, how many baskets were left over that time? And the disciples look at each other and they say, well, seven, Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and he says, do you not yet understand? Do you not see who is staring you in the face? They're blind. But notice this. Jesus, Jesus doesn't send them away. Because these are men who are with him because they know they're blind. And they are standing in his presence because they believe this is the one who can finally give us sight. And sight, sight is precious. You see it in the blind man here. He comes to Jesus and his friends ask Jesus to give him sight. And he begins to see. But he doesn't see perfectly, does he? It's blurry. Look at verse 23. It says, And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And the man looked up and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Don't miss the tenderness of Jesus. Jesus tells to this blind man and Jesus cares for him through the only senses he has left. He takes him by the hand and he leads him out of the village and then in a move that is strange but tender, he spits on his eyes and he puts his hands on his face. And while that man is feeling the warmth of Jesus' hands and the moisture from his spittle, Jesus says to him, do you see anything? And the blind man, the blind man says, I see, but I see people like trees walking. He sees, but it's blurry, isn't it? You know, we look at that moment and there's a part of us that goes, well, what, why in the world would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus give this blind man partial sight? Why wouldn't he just heal him wholly and completely? What good is blurry vision? And that's a good question. But I think it forgets this. To those of us who have sight, blurry vision is an inconvenience. To the one who's blind, blurry vision's a miracle. Because it means when you opened your eyes, it wasn't darkness, it was light. And sight, even blurry sight, sight is a precious gift. There's a member of my extended family who has a degenerative eye disease where she's completely lost her sight in one of her eyes and she's steadily losing her sight in the other. And the doctors, they told her a while back that the only way that she was going to keep whatever sight that she had left even temporarily, even for a moment, was if she was willing to receive injections directly into her eyes every six to nine weeks. And if she didn't do that, then they could not guarantee that she would keep her sight much longer. And if she did do it, they were telling her, this is only going to be temporary. 
We can postpone it, but we can't stop it. And my family member, she said yes to what to me sounds like a horrific procedure because she knows and she knew what we all know, sight is precious. When this man opens his eyes, what is it he sees? He sees Jesus. You know, we don't know what his expectations were. We don't know if he came to Jesus because he begged his friends to take him along and his friends then did the talking for him. We don't know if his friends dragged him along and he's just kind of reluctantly going, you know, maybe Jesus can do what nobody else can. It's not going to hurt anything. But I guarantee you this, when he felt those hands on his eyes and he heard that voice say, do you see anything? And he opened his eyes and for the first time in who knows how long he sees light and he sees shapes and he sees people like trees walking. I guarantee you this, he is realizing in that moment he is in the hands of a better physician than any he has ever known. And what Jesus, what Jesus is doing at that moment to that man physically He's doing the same things to the disciples spiritually. You see it in the very next verses after this miracle. Jesus turns to his disciples and he looks at them and he says, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples say, well, they say John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asks them the most important question he could ever ask you. The one he's asking you right now and me right now and our answer, everything hinges on it. He says, who do you say? that I am. And Peter, the man who earlier was fighting about bread, the man who just a few moments before couldn't see Peter, for the first time in the gospel of Mark, Peter suddenly sees. And he says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. You're the one who will save God's people. And Jesus, Jesus says, you're absolutely right, Peter. I am the Christ. And I am the one who's going to save God's people. But here is how that salvation is going to come. First, I must suffer. And I must be rejected. And I must die. And on the third day, I will rise again. And suddenly you see that Peter, just like the blind man, he sees, but it's blurry. Because what does Peter do? Peter says, Jesus, that is never going to happen to you. He sees, but it's blurry. And that blurriness continues even after the final pages of the Gospel of Mark. Even after Peter has seen his own sin and he's denied Jesus three times, even after he's seen the crucifixion and the resurrection, even after in John 21, he's heard Jesus' words of mercy and forgiveness for him, even after Peter has been anointed by the Spirit and he preaches to thousands and thousands are converted in the, in the story of Acts. Even after, Peter sees a vision from God that tells him that in Jesus there is no one who is unclean, that Jesus has brought Jew and Gentile together into one new people. Even after all of that, Peter, he sees, but it's blurry. Because what happens in the book of Galatians? A group of people these guys from something called the circumcision party, they show up in the city of Galatia and they begin to tell people that Jesus, he's good and they need him. But if they really want to be a part of the people of God, then they need something else too. They need to be circumcised. 
and those that Peter in his preaching has already said they are clean because of the work of Jesus, these people are saying, no, they're not. And Peter gets scared. And the man who preached the gospel that brought Jew and Gentile together, he stops eating with the Gentile Christians. And Paul writes to him and says, Brother, you may not be denying Jesus with your mouth this time, but you're denying him with your life by calling those that he has made clean unclean. The man who saw, the man who sees, he sees blurrily. Isn't, isn't that all of our experience? I know it's mine. When I came to Christ, you know, I remember vividly what it felt like for the lights to go on. I had grown up in the church. I could have told you the gospel six ways from Sunday. And maybe on the outside, I looked to all the world like I knew what I was talking about. But if I was really honest, if you saw what was in my heart, for all my knowledge about Jesus, the truth was I was absolutely blind to the reality of him. And if I told you the truth, the gospel I believed, it was this. If I was going to be saved, it depended on what I did. It depended on my religious observance. It depended on the grades that I made and the schools that I got into and how well I performed in sports. It depended on what my dad thought about me and what everyone else thought about me. And when I got ready to go to college my freshman year, my life was an absolute wreck because I had given my life to that idea and that belief system and it had destroyed me. It hadn't satisfied. It hadn't filled me up. And when I left for the University of Georgia that year, I was angry at everyone, including God. And I turned my freshman year into a debauched, drunken mess until one day I showed up here at this church, half drunk, sitting in a seat, waiting for the sermon to begin, and Randy Pope got up and he started talking about communion. And he said, this is for the body of Christ. And if you have sin in your life that you have not repented of, or you are not a part of the body of Christ, this, this is not for you. And for me at that moment, it was like someone took a light switch and flipped it on and the floodlights went on. Because I knew in that moment that Randy Pope wasn't talking to me, but Jesus was. And he saw me. And he knew me. And he wanted me to see it too. And every day after that, that light got brighter. I remember opening up the book of Romans because a friend of mine had suggested that I should read it and I thought this is going to be the most boring thing I've ever read because I've, I've read this before. It didn't seem to have anything to do with me. It seemed irrelevant. It seemed stiff. It seemed dry. But when I opened it up that time, it was like this book that had once felt dead came to life. And I began to realize that Paul, when he was talking about sin, when he was talking about the gospel, he was talking about me. That when he talked about sin, he was talking about my sin. That when he said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he was talking about me. That there was none righteous, no, not one. He was talking about me. That all those things that had happened my freshman year, all that ugliness, all that brokenness, that was not some blip on the radar. That was what had been in my heart the entire time. And at the very same time, I saw Jesus. Because the Jesus Paul was preaching, 
He wasn't the taskmaster that I had followed in my youth. The Jesus that Paul was preaching, he was a savior. Because while I'd been busy trying to perform my way to heaven, Jesus, in his mercy and in his kindness, he had performed for me. He died the death that I should have died. He rose in my place. And if he has hold of me, he will never let me go. And this blind man, he began to see. But here is the uncomfortable truth. Well, I saw more on that day than I did before. And I see more now than I did then. The truth is I still see blurrily. Every day since then, Jesus has been showing me more and more of the ugliness of my heart how deep the rabbit hole actually goes. And at the very same time, he's been showing me more and more the heights and the depths and the lengths and the widths of his grace and his mercy and his sufficiency for me in my every place of need. It was blurry and I couldn't see. That's not just me, that's all of us. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with Jesus. It doesn't matter how intimate your communion is. The reality is whatever vision of him you have, it's a blurry one. Because if we saw Jesus clearly, if we saw him as he actually was, we would never be afraid, would we? We'd never be anxious. We'd never be worried. We could hear the stock market crashing and the coronavirus spreading and our hearts would be as calm and as still as the sea after Jesus silenced the storm. If we really saw Jesus as he was, sitting on his throne in majesty and in dominion and in power, with his heart overflowing with love, we wouldn't be worried about how much hand sanitizer we stockpiled or who's going to win the next election or what's going to happen in the next 20 days. If we could see him, not with blurry eyes, but clearly, the tender shepherd who has compassion on the sheep. Do you think we would doubt that he cares for us? We see, but it's blurry. But don't miss this. Here's the beauty of the gospel. Our hope is not in blurry vision. It's in a perfect Savior. And the same hands that took hold of the blind man, those are the hands that if you are in Christ, those are the hands that have taken hold of you. And notice what happens next. Jesus takes hold of this man and he touches him again. And when he does, that vision that was blurry, it's restored and restored in full. It says in verse 25, that Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. You know, when has Jesus ever done something poorly? You know, the moment Jesus grabbed this man's hand, this story was written, wasn't it? Because when has Jesus ever saved somebody in part? When has Jesus left something undone? When has Jesus ever done something where you could look at it and say, that is shoddy workmanship? That's not Jesus. This story was finished as soon as he came into Jesus' presence and said, give me sight. It was done. And guess what? The same thing is true for you and me. Paul, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that though now we see in a mirror dimly, blurrily, 
there's going to be a day when we see Jesus, not with blurry vision, but we see him face to face. And we will know him even as we are fully known. The same hands, the same hands that touched the face of the blind man again, those hands on that day, they will touch our faces again. And we will hear his voice say, do you see anything? And we will open our eyes and what we see, it won't be blurry. It will be the glorious, joyous, delighted eyes of Mary's greater son whose nail-scarred hands speak a better word than your sin, whose beating heart proclaims to a groaning creation that this is not the end, whose glory is of such a degree that in the new heavens and the new earth there is no more need for sun or moon or stars because he is the only light that we ever need. In that day, nothing will be blurry and everything will be clear and it will be that way into eternity. All will be restored. Blind, blurry, restored. That's not just the pattern of a miracle. That is the rhythm of the Christian life into which Jesus has brought you. And if his hand is leading yours now, that is where your story ends. Every miracle, every one that we see in this book, in all their glory, they are an invitation to come. To come with our weariness, to come with our sin, to come with our need and to receive from Jesus the grace that we require. Mark 8, Mark 8 says, come with your blindness to the one who gives sight. His heart is tender and his hands are waiting. Come, amen. Again, Caleb, thanks for leading us um, in the word in Mark chapter 8. Um, Blind, blurry, restored. Uh, that's, that's our story. If you're a follower of Christ, um, we were once blind. Now we're in this place of blurriness, right? Where uh, the blurriness is in process, right? I think one of the things that's most encouraging is I think about what, what we glean from, from your teaching this morning and from the scriptures is uh, the encouragement that comes from being in process as God is redeeming us. And it is sure the restoration, the full restoration is coming. Um, but sometimes it's so easy to believe the lie that we, um, I need to be further along than I am. And things shouldn't be as blurry as they are. Um, and certainly we want to be growing. We want to be growing closer to Jesus and depending more on him. But we're, we're in this, this place, this process of blurriness until we're with him. And we will one day uh, see clearly. And so there's encouragement in that to even see Peter, right? I mean, I think sometimes there's this, even this, this thing that we believe where it's like, gosh, if, um, if I were with Jesus, like Peter and James and John and all the others, uh, I, I wouldn't struggle the way that I do. Things wouldn't be as blurry as they are. And then you got Peter who here he is all these years later, even this, these months later at Pentecost after Christ is uh, resurrected, and he's received the Holy Spirit, and then he preaches the word, and then he gets all the way down the road, and he still has to be called out by Paul because he's still seeing things so blurrily. So, um, it's so much to take away from this. I don't know if you guys um, have anything. One thing I would say is this we need to get you guys a couch because um, 
You're, Ryan's over there has been sitting on a piano bench this whole time. Michael's over here sitting on a cajon, uh, and we're sitting on these really incredibly comfortable uh, high chairs here. So, um, so anyway, you get to sit in the comfort of your home, which is awesome, but we, we're on this. No, anyway, uh, any thoughts from you guys, things that, that maybe stood out to you? I'd love to hear them. Yeah, you know, you don't usually give the drummer a mic, so this might be the last time you actually do that. <laughs> um, yeah, one of the words that came to, to my mind is, as I'm hearing uh, the, the breadth of this is focus. Mm-hmm. And in the, um, in the maelstorm that's out there right now, mm-hmm. um, everybody, and, and us included, we're looking for a sign. We're looking for a this is the fix. Mm-hmm. It's only going to last this long. You know, this, this whirlwind that we're in right now, um, yes, we want to take an opportunity to share Christ with people, but we're all looking for that thing that's going to say, okay, this is how God's using this. Mm-hmm. This is how he's working. And it's, and it's focused for me. It is taking my mind and my eyes off the temporal. Mm-hmm. And that's, this story is so powerful because, you know, the steps that, that you explained on, on him, little steps to, to us, maybe big steps to the, to the man in that situation. Mm-hmm. And we have so many people that we are interacting with throughout this situation that we're in. And our focus is not the things that we need that we don't have or that we might lose that we do have. It is the the gospel mm-hmm. of seeing God in the eternal purpose of why we're here. Mm-hmm. So what a powerful yeah. word. It's good. Good, Michael. Ryan, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I was thinking about Fanny Crosby. Uh, and just, there's a hymn, My Savior, First of All, and she says, uh, When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide, the bright and glorious morning I shall see, and I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side, and his smile will be the first to welcome me. Yeah. I think just having hope that even if, even in blurry vision, mm. you know, uh, when we get, when, when all this is fixed and made perfect, that we will see our savior mm. and I love Fanny being blind. The first thing she's going to see is his smile. Mm. And uh, I was just thinking that there's, we, we have hope even in the blurry hope in the blurry. I want to say that. one yeah. thing, Michelle. Yeah. just from a mama's perspective, the whole time you're teaching, I'm thinking, okay, Lord, give me sight right now in my life. Cause I'm at home now with kids and a husband who's home. <laughs> all the time. And so I'm saying, Lord, help me to see past the clutter mm. and to see past the noise mm. and all the dishes that are accumulating three times faster than normal and help me to see all of this as a gift yeah. to spend time with my children and time with my husband and and to be really together and and play the Wii, and yeah, we still have a Wii. Yeah. We're, we're old-fashioned. But anyway, I, I just wanted to say that because yeah. I, I just the whole time you're teaching, I'm like, oh, yeah. God, give me sight to not look at this, but to look a little yeah. bit deeper. Yeah. So many things to take away. I hope that uh, even as I said this last week, I hope that you'll spend time at home. Um, even if you're watching alone, uh, maybe there's an opportunity for you later this week to have conversations with others. But if you're there watching at home with others now, with your family, uh, when we finish up here in a moment, take some time to process, to think about what is it that God spoke to you and to your heart from his word uh, this morning. And just thinking about what does it mean to see Jesus 
even in this, uh, this state that we're in right now. And, and certainly there are many. There are many who, um, as we read in the story, that are, that are like the Pharisees. They think they see, uh, but they really don't. And so um, I'm praying for you, if that might be you, and praying for the many that that does describe, um, that we would have sight, that we would be able to see the beauty and the glory and the magnificence of Jesus. I do have one last question for Caleb because I think it's probably the most important question. Um, what exactly does six ways from Sunday mean? It, it um, means uh, in, in every way you could imagine. Okay, in every way you can imagine. There you go. It's a phrase. It's a colloquial phrase. Colloquial phrase <laughs> yeah. that, that I should have heard at some point in my life, I'm sure. I but, Googled um, it. Yeah, you Googled it. There we go. <laughs> Just to make sure it wasn't something go. I made up. There we go. There we go. A Southern phrase probably. Probably. Yeah. Awesome. I'm probably one of the very few who didn't know what that meant. But... Um, But uh, we hope you've been blessed this morning as we've worshiped together, as we've sat under the teaching of God's word together. I hope you'll continue to read in the book of Mark as we continue in the book of Mark for a few more weeks. Uh, I hope you're reading at home, uh, even as a family, perhaps, the book of Mark together. But I want you to do this now. I want you to stand and I want you to receive the Lord's benediction, this blessing uh, over you. And, And if you're comfortable with this, even raise your hands as a way to just say, I'm receiving this blessing from the Lord. It comes to us from Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory, both in his church and in Christ Jesus our Lord throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.